It's a joy for me to give the word today, uh, this afternoon at, at SFS. Uh, two weeks ago, I gave a church update for you all. Um, hope it wasn't too traumatic for you guys. Uh, I shared a lot about the many difficult things that we've been going through this past year uh, as a church. Uh, it's been especially trying year for the board and for the staff and for the people that have been here for a long time, I think especially, you know, just members, leaders that have been here for a while, it's been, it's been quite a year. And some of us have been tested and experienced hardships that uh, are at a level we've never experienced before uh, in our life. And, you know, we've been tested in ways that we've never been tested. And testing can be good because it can reveal your faith when we're tested and we follow through. It shows that our faith is real. This is why conflict for married couples is actually healthy, because if you get through the conflict, it shows you're strong. Okay, hardship is a healthy thing. But sometimes too much hardship, it's just too much. You know, when when we go through too intense of a difficult time, we can start to question, should I really be going through this difficult time? Am I really in the right place? Am I really doing the right thing? You know, what's going on here? Too many hardships can create hesitancy. Hesitancy. It's often during the darker seasons that we can often wonder, are we doing what we're really meant to be doing? Am I doing what I'm really called to do? Am I truly satisfied with what's going on. It's the darker seasons that tend to, we tend to reflect more. We tend to question more. We tend to wonder. And maybe some of you have been feeling hesitant in your walk with God or in your calling or in a specific area of your life, whether it's family or it's your work or or something else. And uh, if you're in that place, I hope that this message today will be an encouragement to you. The title of my sermon today is The Hesitant Believer. The Hesitant Believer. Today I'm going to address why we can be hesitant with God and hesitant in doing His will. And this passage that I'm going to be speaking from is in Judges 6. And uh, this is going to be the story of Gideon. I'm going to put it up here. That's why I stepped off of the platform so you guys can just follow along. Gideon is one of the great leaders in the Bible. He's listed in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, the, the Hall of Faith, basically, a chapter of great people of faith, Gideon. But before he was appointed to be a leader, he was actually a scared, insecure farmer. That's who Gideon was. And he was living in a time where Israel, his country, they had come out of Egypt, out of you know the wilderness, and into the promised land, and they had settled But after settling, they turned from God. They no longer really felt like they needed God. They were comfortable. They started following after other gods. They did their own thing. And so God lifted his protection from them. And as God lifted his protection from them, other nations started to come in and to attack and even enslave the Israelites, including the nation of Midian. So let me read to you guys Judges 6, 1 through 6. I'm actually going to read from the NIV. It should be up here. Here we go. The Israelites did evil. In the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. 
Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The Israelites were clearly going through hardships, seven years of hardships at this point. Everything that they were producing was being taken away by the enemies. And so finally, in their despair, they cried to God for help. The God they had been ignoring up to that point, they finally turned to and say, God, give us deliverance. And God's answer to the Israelites' prayer was to appoint Gideon, this fearful farmer, to become their leader. I'm going to skip down to verses 10 through 17. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, give us given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. I mentioned before, in Hebrews chapter 11, basically the hall of fame of the Bible, the, the book of faith, greatest people of faith, Gideon, is one of the few listed names in that book. Gideon is mentioned as being one of the most, the men with the greatest faith that walked the earth. Yet we read this passage, and it comes out like he is the weakest man. I mean, the angel of the Lord is standing in front of him, and he keeps saying, pardon me. (laughs) Pardon me. I'm not so sure what you're saying. Pardon me. I don't think it's me. You're going for it. Pardon me. I know you're an angel that just appeared in front of me in this wine press because I'm hiding from the Midianites. But I need more signs to really believe. Gideon responds here. His response is just filled with doubt and insecurity. Gideon is clearly hesitant to respond to God. And even after God gives Gideon a powerful sign that gives him an initial jolt of faith, Gideon continues to need more signs to walk out his faith if you keep reading the chapters. More and more signs. Gideon was a hesitant believer, and he had two reasons for being a hesitant believer. The first was his lack of faith in God being good. A lack of faith in God being good. So I'm going to have us look back at verse 13 to see Gideon's lack of faith in God being good. Verse 13. 
Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see, before anyone can become a mighty person of faith, before anyone can really act on God's behalf, honestly, before anyone can really even just believe in God, really believe in God, you have to know that God is good. You first have to experience that God is good. If you don't know that God is good, you can profess with your mouth, oh yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's, he's the King over all. He's my Lord and Savior. But if you don't believe He's good, the moment you will be tested is the moment you're going to walk away. you got to trust. You see, we must believe that God is good and worth following. We must believe that God is good and worth following. Now, think of soldiers with their officer in war. Are they going to follow an officer that they don't trust, that they've seen has lied to them, that is a coward? When that officer says, all right, let's go, guess what? The soldiers are going to be like, no, I'm not going. But if their officer has shown courage and has shown that he's a good man and that his heart is for his people, even if it means they're going into death, they're going to go. Say, no, hey, this guy is good. This guy is worth following. I'm going to go with him. Think about yourselves, those of you that are working right now, whether you're working at a company, at a school. If you have a boss that is cheating you, if you have a school that is just obviously their material is worthless, and you know you're trying to teach your kids and they're learning nothing, Guess what? The moment hardship comes, the moment, oh, we can't give you your paycheck yet. I'm sorry, can you wait a few more weeks? The moment anything like that comes, the first thought's going to be, you know, I think I need another job. I think it's time to move on. But if your boss has good values and your boss has, boss has a vision that, that is something that you believe in, and maybe the curriculum, if you're a teacher, like, this is really good, this school, I like these values, things are going well, then guess what? When hardships come, you just get, you get down a little bit more. Okay, I'm going to fight through this. This is worth it. It's worth being here. I know that this is good. This is worth fighting for. Even if I got to take a pay cut, I still want to be here. You know you're in a good job, and even when the job gets tough, you're not suddenly questioning, should I be here? Should I not? Should I go somewhere else? You need to believe in the cause, and you need to believe in who you're following. Otherwise, hesitancy will seize you quickly. The moment you are tested, you're going to become hesitant. For me personally, I experienced God's goodness as I was attending Virginia Tech. I went to Virginia Tech. I studied engineering many, many moons ago. Uh, I studied there, and uh, I professed that God was good in high school. I, I, you know, put my faith in him in high school. But to be honest, even though I said that God was good, if you had asked me back then, hey, would you want to become a missionary or would you want to become a pastor? And people did ask me about, would you want to become a pastor? No, never. I will never speak in front of people 
I will never do that type of life. I'm going to work in the secular field. That's what I said very strongly. I'll get angry if anyone thought, like, maybe you should do ministry. No. You know, I said that God was good, but, you know, to this much. I knew his goodness to this level, but not enough to the point of, I'm going to give you all my life, or I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's more like you're good as it's convenient. Sunday morning, you know, quiet times, you know, I'll do, but don't speak into my life, you know, unless it's to bless me in what I'm doing. But at Virginia Tech, uh, I began to pray and ask God, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to know your heart. I want to experience your heart. And there were two verses that really became my prayers throughout those years. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And Psalm 63, 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. For me in college, I began to not skeptically question, but really be like, if the Bible is the word of God and this is truth, then I want to experience it. And if you say that I can taste and see that you are good, I want to. I want to taste and see that you're good. And if you actually say that your love is better than life, it's better than my way. All right, I want to know this. Because if I know this love that is better than life, then I'm willing to lay my life down before you. But if I don't taste that your love is better than life, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to follow you all the way. I'm going to kind of do my own thing and I'll go to church and I'll be a good Christian, but I'm not going to truly give myself over. Well, guess what? God began to touch me. And it wasn't like, oh, miracles happened and, you know, ridiculous things, but he ministered to me so much through those years. And every year, my hunger for him grew. My thirst for him grew. And suddenly, this desire for missions that I never thought I had before began to form within me. And these thoughts of going to Asia and being a missionary or doing engineering in Asia or things like that started to come up and even excite me. Now, if you had tried to plant those thoughts in me during my first year, I would have been like, get away from you. Get away, get away from me. Sorry. Get away from you. You get away from Yeah. I would have been so flustered. You know, I would have been speaking weird English. But lo and behold, my last year, I was leaning more and I wanted, I want to go. God, I've, I've tasted and seen that you're good. And I want to know you more. And if you're, if you're out there, you're calling me to go out there. That's where I want to be. I no longer want to choose the comfortable life. I no longer want to just do what I want to do. I want to choose your path. Even if it's narrow, your way's better. I want to go your way. God was answering my prayers. I was tasting and seeing that God is good. I was knowing a love that is better than life. And I'll tell you guys, I'm happy that I made the choices that I've made. I'm thankful to be where I am. I don't have hesitancy being out here. There's no regret being out here. And honestly, there's no sacrifice. Some people think, oh, wow, you sacrificed so much. And I guess, you know, in, in the earthly sense, I did. But in the heavenly perspective, Jesus paid it all. He did the sacrifice. So when you know a love that is better than life, shoot, dying for him is not a sacrifice. You get to be with him. 
You know, choosing to take up your cross is not a sacrifice. It's not like, oh, I got to follow Jesus today. It's no, I get to taste to see that God is good. And I get to know him that even in my hardship, as I take up this cross, I'm connecting with him and what he went through for me. Even in my hardships, I'm learning his heart. God is good. But I'll tell you that this past year, I've been tested more than ever in my life. And amidst these hardships, I've had to cling to these promises. You know, these promises, they sound so good that when you're really growing with God, there's periods in your life where it's just like beautiful. It's just so much fun. And if you are in that season, it's wonderful. Enjoy it, you know. It's so good. But it's not like we're like so happy all the time. Even in the hardships, God's love is better than life, guys. I wish I was like that. Of course, you all would hate me. But, uh, you know, the truth is hardships are hard. And this world isn't heaven. You know, even Jesus said in this world, you will have hardship. You will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome. But in this world, you will have hardship. Thanks, Jesus. You know? But I'll tell you guys, amidst this past year, and uh, amidst all the hardship, amidst all the tough things that I've gone through, I can still say that God is good and that I've seen God. We call it the silver lining. I've seen God amidst these things. It doesn't mean that this past year was a good year. I'm not going to lie and be like, this year was a great year. Like, no, it was a tough year. But my worship is still there. And in fact, now I believe my worship is stronger because it's been tested. And God has given grace to see that he is good, even through the hardship and even through the hard times. There are seasons in our lives. It could be a year. It could be a few years that can be really difficult. And we don't want to tell people, hey, God's good. You know, like that's so heartless. We have to mourn with those who mourn. We need to comfort those who need comfort. We need to understand those things. But we need to also continue to pray these prayers of God. You're still here. Help me see you. And I know there are still things that I can be thankful for at the end of this year that, you know, next year I'm not going to be like, look, I'm just going to blank out that part of my life. I never want to look back. No, God was there and I see his light. I don't have that that regret. I don't have that PTSD. I don't have those things. He's given grace. He will give grace for each and every one of you. I don't have regrets from this past year. I mean, in, in it, there were moments where it's like, I wish I could get out of this. But as you go through it, and as you get through it, you start to realize it's okay. I'm not dead. God's still with me. The faith, you know, is still there. He's picking me up. I might be wounded. I might need some season for healing. But God is here, and he's good, and he works all things for the good of those who love him. It's his promise in Romans 8.28. He works all things for the good of those who love him. doesn't mean that everything's going to be good, but it means that in all things, he is able to work it for our good. Our God is faithful. So I want to encourage you. Pray these prayers, whether you're doing great, whether you're struggling, wherever you are, whether you believe in God or you don't. I especially encourage you, if you don't know God, 
if you, if you don't believe in him or this is all new to you, just ask, God, I want to taste to see that you're good. I want to know your love that's better than life. I want to know you. That's all you got to pray. But pray that and God will be so pleased and he will show himself to you and you will be encouraged. God was not angry at Gideon for asking him for signs. He's not angry at Gideon's initial doubt and struggles. God wants to give us faith. It's a gift. He's a good father. He wants to give it to us. He wants to bless us, but he also wants us to ask. He wants us to desire it. Even after experiencing God's goodness, his love, his power, hesitancy can still remain. Now our hesitancy is no longer with the one that we're following. We know that God is good, okay? I, I know that you're good. I know that you're worth following. But instead, our hesitancy is found within us. Do we really believe we can be used by God? Do we really believe that God is actually speaking to me? Is this really for me? Gideon first question whether God was truly good. Where have you been? I've heard about you in Egypt, but I haven't seen you for a long time. Are you really good? His next question was about himself. The second, pardon me. Judges 6.15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Not you, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, that's his tribe, and I am the least in my family. So I'm in the weakest group of people, in the, and I'm the weakest of my family in this weakling group of people. You see, Gideon's first reason to be hesitant was a lack of faith in God being good. His second reason to be hesitant was a lack of faith in himself being worthy. It's a lack of faith in himself being worthy. In the natural, Gideon was a nobody, an insecure farmer hiding in a wine press because he was scared of the Midianites. He considered himself to be nothing. In his eyes, he was pathetic. But how did God initially greet this man? What did God initially call Gideon? Let's look back at verse 12, Judges 6, 12. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This scared little guy in this wine press, you are a mighty warrior. Gideon had done nothing in his life up to that point. We don't know about anything. And the truth is, when he started to act, the people in his village were surprised that he was doing anything. That kind of shows this guy really was pathetic. All right, he, he really was the loser, all right, in town. And yet God calls him a mighty warrior. Why? We worship a God who is the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end. Negative infinity to positive infinity, all right? You can't measure. He's before us. He's after us. He is outside of time. So time is in his hands. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew you in the womb. He knew you before you were created. He knows you when you're 60, when you're 80. He knows you through and through. He knows who he made you to be. He knows your true identity. You see, when you were a child, you were called a child because you were a child. But in God's eyes, as he looks down, he sees that part of your life. Yeah, you're a child here, but the truth is, you're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of God here. That's 
who you are all around. Gideon, at his point of life, was, I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I'm pathetic. But God knows the end from the beginning. God knows it all. And so before Gideon's done anything to prove his worth, God says, you're worthy. You're worthy because I've deemed you worthy. Your worth is not found in your talents and in who you are. It's found in the identity that I'm giving you. That's who you are. I have some bad news for you guys. Like Gideon, we're all a bunch of losers. (laughs) We're all a bunch of failures. Okay, I'm sorry. I know some of you guys, you know, think you're doing well at your job or that, you know, I'm doing pretty good. You're a sinner, all right? Nothing perfect about you. And if we were to shine a light over your entire life, you'd be pretty ashamed. Okay, if we were to reveal the thoughts going on in your head, you'd be like, get me out of here. We're all failures, but I got good news for you guys. God loves failures. It's his favorite. Jesus came to seek and save who? The lost. He came for the hurting. He came for the weak. He didn't come for the healthy. He said the sick need a doctor. Those are the ones that I've come for. I haven't come for the healthy. If you think you're healthy, if you think you're perfect, if you think, oh, I'm, I got it all put together, guess what? You don't need Jesus. God delights in those who acknowledge they need his grace. Matthew 5, 3 is the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is the God of the broken. He's the God of the orphan, the widow, the poor, the weak. Why? It's because the oppressed and the broken of this world are those who are the most hungry for God. Their worth is not found in their worldly identity because guess what? The world calls calls them worthless. So instead, they seek God. God, here on earth, my identity, I'm, I'm rejected, I'm alone, I'm worthless. But you call me fearfully and wonderfully made. You call me precious in your sight. You died for me for some reason. So I want to know my identity in you. I want to find my worth in you. This is what it's called to be poor in spirit. It's not that, oh, I got to give up all my money and live poor. It's not poor in flesh. It's poor in spirit. It's this heart that says, God, even though people are complimenting me, even though it seems like things are all together, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. It's in you that I live and move and have my being. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are my God. You are my confession of faith. Every day, God, I need you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It's not this self-deprecating, oh, I'm a loser, oh, I'm this. No, that's not what God wants you to do. It's just confessing, God, I need you. You know what? When we get into a place of despair, it's easy to say, God, I need you. The Israelites weren't crying out for God the seven years before when they weren't being enslaved. They were fine. But when the hardships came and they were being tested and they were going through so much hardship, that's when they're like, I need you. They recognized they were poor in spirit. But, you know, we don't have to be tested to that point to make that our declaration. We can do it every day. It's just recognizing I'm a sinner saved by grace. I need you, Lord. You are 
the author and perfecter of my life. You are the one who gives me identity. You are the one who gives me strength. My worth is found in you. Next slide says, when we acknowledge our brokenness before God, then he is able to transform us. When we acknowledge our brokenness before God, then he is able to transform us. God delights in the broken because they find their worth fully in him. Gideon came from a weak family, which came from a weak tribe. We actually read that Gideon's own family didn't follow after God. They had their own idols that they worshiped. Gideon was initially filled with fear. He was insecure. He was asking for all these signs. He was doubting. But amidst the doubt, he kept talking to God. He didn't run away. He kept saying, God, I'm not sure. Help me confirm. God, I'm not sure. I'm going to set out another fleece. I need another sign. Okay. And then when he gets his army together and they're going in, guess what? He needs another sign. Go down to the camp and you're going to hear the Midianite soldiers talking about a dream. And he gets another sign that gets him encouragement. It's not that Gideon was just born with faith and was just this special man. Wow, he's a born leader. No, he was a born failure. Okay? It was when God began to give him identity and Gideon dialogued with God. He didn't say, ah, forget this. No. He talked to God. And he acknowledged he was poor in spirit. He acknowledged, I'm, my faith is weak. I need your help. Show me your glory. Remember this prayer of Moses? Moses prayed this before they went to the promised land. He says, this is too great. How can I do this apart from you? And God says, I will be with you, Moses. I will go before you. And Moses says, now show me your glory. And God delighted in that. God delighted in that. See, Gideon, as he received his identity from God, as he began to know God is good, And as he began to receive that identity, and that identity was confirmed in him, I am a mighty warrior. I am strong in the Lord and the might of his power. I am able to do all things. Then he was able to lead that small army of 300 against all those Midianites and win that battle. And he became one of the greatest in the Bible, men of faith. It was as he received that identity from God, it was as he declared, my strength is not in my flesh, it's in you working in me. It's in what you speak over me. Colossians one twenty seven says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your hope, the strength that you stand upon, that rock that you stand upon is not your own earthly identity. I'm smart. I'm able to get through this. I'm strong. I'm able to get through this. You know, I, I can do this because of who I am here on earth. No, that's only going to get you so far. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's his voice. It's his identity. It's standing upon his promises. That's what enables us to overcome all things. That's what enables us to let go of the hesitancy and say, okay, God, I'm going to leave everything and I'm going to go live in this orphanage in Korea. I'm just going to, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to step up where you call me to step up, even though I, I'm not feeling it in my flesh. I've tasted enough to know that you're good. And I've heard enough from you of confirmations that this is what I'm going to do, what I'm supposed to do, and now I'm going to do it. And God, he delights in that. He says, well done. That's faith. Not that you're amazing. It's that you've looked to me. You've made dialogue with me. You've asked, you've sought, and now I've given. 
want to encourage you guys to make this your prayer. God, I acknowledge I need you. Reveal my true identity in you. Show me who I really am in you. I've been serving these kids here in Korea for 13 years now. And um, you know, over the years, God's given vision to me and my staff for North Korea. And at one point, so many dreams and prophetic words were being released from all over the place. Uh, in the church, outside of the church, even among my family, uh, my dad having dreams, different things happening that it became so clear. We're going into North Korea, and we're going to build orphanages there. And that our kids here that we've been taking care of, they're going to join us in going out there. I'll tell you, between 2008 and 2011, the number of dreams and words, so many, that I could preach a whole sermon just sharing those words. It was so encouraging. And then there's been silence. And there's been little sign, very little signs of these things actually happening. And, you know, I, I, because God spoke so much, it's like that faith that we're just going to keep going. You know, even though he's now silent right now, we're just going to keep going. But the interesting thing is now that I've served these kids for 13 years and I've seen kids go from kindergarten through high school, you know, the, these different just growing up. Some of these kids have told us. We want to go where you're going. North Korea is scary. They're honest with us. You know, and they're like, when I'm not with you, like, I, I, I don't think I really want to go. You know, but when they're with us and they've felt our love and they know that we're good, that we care about them, we want to go. We want to go with you. And I really believe that there's going to be a time North Korea opens and we go in. It might not happen right away. It may be some time. We're going to take care of these kids in North Korea. And these are kids, a lot of them, especially those that are not in Pyongyang, that haven't had access to smartphones and to Netflix and to all these different distractions and these different things. And for those kids, when they taste and see that the Lord is good, they're going to taste him in a very pure way. It's going to be something where I haven't tasted all these other delicacies of this world that are, you know, so amazing. You know, the, the, the social media and, and the, the travel and the food and, and the, you know, all these different things that aren't evil, Okay. But they can, they can be distracting. Instead, all I've tasted is barely anything all my life. And now I taste and see that God is good, and that he loves me, and that he calls me his own. You know, through those dreams and just through what has been shared, I really believe God is going to do something very special in this peninsula. Something very special, particularly among the broken, among the orphan, and among the hurting. Not among the proud. God delights in the humble. You know, at this church, Tammy was sharing about the miracles that have happened in this church. There have been miracles. Um, I remember that song we sang earlier, Wonder. I remember singing it my last Sunday at Itaewon before we planted Shilim. And a girl named Lydia, who moved down to Sydney, she was leading on the keys. She was leading that song. And the glory of God just started to move in the front row. And it's like I could see almost like a little cloud just up there. And it was, it was intense. The worship that day was something special. And there were days where people would be like, look, look at the gold dust. 
on my hands. You know, and and there would just be signs. God is moving. God is here. God delights in us. You know, in these past few years, as the church has been through so much, there's been moments where it's like, oh, the anointing is really thick and it's so good. And there's been other times where it's just like, all right, we're just kind of here, just kind of doing our thing. But I believe that for us, whether, you know, we stay here, whether you stay here at New Philly or wherever you go, especially if you're going to be here in Korea. As you ask, say, God, I want to taste and see that you're good. I want to know your love that's better than life. I want to see you. God's going to reveal himself to you. God is not far off. God is not saying, uh, I'm just saving it for the very, very end times. Then I'll do the miraculous. I've already seen enough on the missions field. I've seen the glory of God. I've seen him move and touch people across the room. Then just start falling. No one's touching them. No one's doing anything. But the glory of God just starts moving. And I don't believe, oh, that was just a time, and now it's over. I believe God's going to do it again and again in an even greater measure. It's like his heartbeat. We're going to feel it again and more and more. But our hearts have to be at a place like Gideon's of, God, I need to know you're good. God, I need to know my identity in you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I believe God's going to do something special. And, you know, if your heart was stirred as I was sharing just about Korea or about the kids, don't fear. I'm not going to, like, be like, you're with me, you know. But we could surf together. <laughs> do the Christmas secret angel. Just do that. See, see how the Lord moves. See what happens. Do one of our camps. Do the arts and crafts camp. We're going to do announcements for that soon. Do the soccer camp. Just let God speak. You don't have to go all in right away, guys. It's not like Gideon just got it and then, boom, he was running. It took time. Just keep asking. Let him move in your heart. He will. He's going to touch you. And I believe God is going to move in this church as well. And God is going to move in this peninsula. Let me go ahead and close in prayer.